This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Matt Bovey from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other task that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too on demand. So it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia. We know there's only one topic every day. All bills all the time. And now Matt Bovey and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. The Bills actually have a really important 15-day stretch starting Sunday at the New England Patriots, at home Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then a Sunday night game, a big one, in Cincinnati the following week. Welcome into It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove joining you. Of course, Matt on WKBW-TV Channel 7. You can find me at WGR Sports Radio 550. And our sister station in Boston on Odyssey is WEEI, and that's where we find our guy, Andy Hart, who joins us, also the host and co-host of the Six Rings podcast. I hate the name of the podcast because of <laughs> all of the scar tissue from the New England Patriots with the Buffalo Bills over the years. But it's actually a really cool name, and we thank you for joining us, Andy. My pleasure, and um, we're pretty comfortable. We're not going to have to change our name anytime soon. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Let's um, let's start there if we can. I I think what's super interesting to me, Andy, is yeah, the Patriots are one in five. We know they're not playing well, but nobody's talking about really them being one in five here, at least. Mostly, it's been about Bill Belichick, his legacy, the future of the Patriots, the organization. Is that what it's been like for you guys? I mean, yeah, of course you get into the season, but has it been more about big picture or has it been about what's wrong with the offense this year or whatever that is? For about the first month, it was what's wrong with the offense, Mac Jones, talent, Bill O'Brien. Why is he not the savior? Now we've turned the corner towards it's one in five. You're not winning the division. You're not making the playoffs. You're not com competing. You're not like the season is over. Now it has turned significantly this last week and even a little bit last week about is Bill Belichick done? How does Robert Kraft handle this? Um, the bigger picture, you know, we have fans that are starting to watch more college football and root for <laughs> quarterbacks like, you know, can, can we get Caleb Williams or, you know, some the dreams or nightmare of having a top five pick are starting to become reality in Patriot Nation. And, you know, quite honestly, people don't know how to handle it. The, obviously, you guys know as well as anyone the success that was here for so long. And then even in recent years, they made it to November, early December with a path to the postseason still possible or just sort of hanging around. This team's not hanging around. This team is bottoming out. And uh, yeah, so it's turned to Belichick and, and do you blow it up and who's the next guy and those craft level big picture questions. For the 17 years where the Bills were in a similar position to what the Patriots are going through now, their former GM, Doug Whaley, called it quarterback purgatory, and he took a ton of heat for it, but it was true. They weren't bad enough to ever get a top pick, and they weren't good enough to ever really compete. So they kind of found themselves in the middle there. Do you feel like the fan base has turned? Is this now about let's get a top pick? Do, are they rooting for losses at this point, I guess is my question. Yeah, I did a local TV show last night and they did one of those live polls and it was who do you want? What do you want Malik Cunningham to do on Sunday? And 50 something percent voted start the game. And I truly believe those people were rooting for tanking. Like that's why you'd start Malik Cunningham, because quite honestly, 
The guy barely practices at quarterback up until the last week. He's been a wide receiver, the whole thing. But I think the mindset has changed. And I do think the last few years, the Cam Newton frustration, then there was that little blip of positivity, Mac Jones rookie year, make the playoffs, but you weren't really a playoff team. And the Bills showed that by whooping them like you wouldn't believe. And then the regression of the last year plus with the whole Matt Patricia crap last year and the way Mac just looks like a broken quarterback and everybody's turned up. Mac does not have a lot of supporters in new England anymore, few and far between. So I do, I think fans are starting to embrace the idea because they've been through it with the Celtics say, you know, there's been a few tank jobs over the years with the Celtics. Well, you know, you know, if you get the guy who's Jason Tatum, maybe you start the turnaround. And so now I think they're looking for their quarterback in there. That's why I say, I think they're watching some of those big timers on Saturdays. What has happened to Mac Jones? Great segue because that was my next question anyway. And you just opened the door. Is it he was he was pretty good his rookie year? We saw him here. I mean, in that playoff game, he made a great throw that obviously Micah Hyde made an incredible play on. Maybe the game is a little yep. different if he hits yep. that, but we saw him here in Buffalo do some nice things in that rookie year, and it's kind of gone downhill since. Yeah, he um I I've said this for a while. I think they broke him last year with the frustrations and dysfunctions and everybody fixated on his little eruptions in December. But, you know, he was saddled with just a strange situation from May straight on through. So I never faulted him by the time December came around for kind of losing his cool. Um, and I always said he was watching his career be submarined by what was going on around him. And he was, you're right. He was on a track pro bowl rookie quarterback who took his team to the playoffs. That's impressive. Yep. And that's tracking towards, $200 million in your bank account in a few years and being a franchise QB and everything that comes with that. Last year, he was broken. This year, I thought everybody believed, okay, Bill O'Brien brings competency, stability. The problem is Mac is surrounded by no talent. I mean, if we're being honest, maybe Kendrick Bourne is a pretty good player. Ramondre Stevenson is a good player who's had a terrible start to the season. The offensive line is hellaciously – they couldn't practice, never mind play. Like, they ruined practices with how bad they were. Um, so, you put that in, and then I don't think Mac is – he was never going to be Josh Allen. He was never this stallion that you had to kind of break down and then just harness. He was – his head's his superpower, as Dan Orlovsky would say. He's a game manager. It's accuracy. And that's hard to do when it's just hitting the fan around you. Like literally you got guys, they have the worst receivers in terms of getting open. So he has to hold on to the ball, except they have the worst offensive line in terms of protecting the quarterback. So he's got to get rid of the ball. And it's one of those damned if you do damned, if you don't, and he hasn't reacted well to it. He has made the second quarter against the Cowboys. He melted down. He started just looking like a guy who was overwhelmed, um, you know, like throwing off his back foot late across the field, like things that his brain should have told him never do this. And he was doing it for picks and pick sixes. So yeah, I believe Bill Belichick and the management in terms of the talent around him and some of the coaching last year has kind of just broken Mac Jones. With the Bills on Sunday Night Football last week against the Giants, we're sitting in the press box and they've got all the four o'clock games on. And I'm watching the Patriots Raiders and it's a play, I think in the first half where he's kind of rolling to his right and Hunter Henry is wide open and he overshoots it. It's an interception. And I remember looking at the people next to me and going, he's not going to start next week. Like they're going to sit Mac Jones. Now it feels like he is going to start, but I guess yep. the question is how short's the leash? Like if he throws an interception in the first quarter, is it all right, Malik Cunningham? You're the starter. Like, like, how does this work? So uh, that's a great question. And I, I'm not sure Bill Belichick knows how it worked because last week in Las Vegas, they had Bailey Zappi, who we all know there was a little Zappi fever last year in New England. He played a couple games, won a couple games. Fans started chanting for him in Foxborough. He was the emergency quarterback last week. The backup was Malik Cunningham, who as of four days earlier, Bill O'Brien stood at a podium and told us, well, Malik really hasn't taken many snaps in practice at quarterback. He's mostly receiver. His QB snaps were actually, according to O'Brien, Taysom Hill scout team snaps when he was running the scout team. Then all of a sudden, he's the backup, which I, I've been covering this team for two decades, and Bill Belichick always beats into your head, the backup is one play away. And so they're saying Malik is one play away, except he only played six snaps. His only stats were a six-yard just jailbreak sack on where he felt like Mac for a minute and not even his athleticism could help him. So I don't know the answer to the leash because in my opinion, 
you had uh, Ian Rappaport went on NFL media and said Mac is going to have a short leash, except he didn't really have a backup quarterback. So I actually think he had the longest leash he's had all year because Bailey Zappi, who had replaced him the two previous right. weeks, couldn't come in the game. So I don't know if this is blasphemy to say. I don't know if there was a technical error in the way they submitted their inactives, if Bill screwed something up, but it was one of the strangest situations I've seen in two decades around this team. So is Bailey, if Bailey Zappi is active this week, absolutely, he could play because he played in Dallas, he played against the Saints. But if they do the same thing and Malik Cunningham's the backup, I don't think you can ask Malik Cunningham with what he has to work with and the experience he has to play two quarters or three quarters. So it is, it's a mess. The quarterback situation is a mess right now. It just is. We had um, we had a guest on our station on WGR earlier this week who said they have the worst right tackle situation in the NFL. Hmm. How close is that to your truth that you think about this team? Oh, I think it's 100% accurate. So let's just use last week's game as a snapshot in Vegas. First play of the game, right tackle, Vidarian Lowe, who they acquired from the Vikings um, at cutdowns. So like wasn't here all summer. They had this... My co-host, Nick Fitzy Stevens on Six Rings, likes to call it a bum fight. They had a bum fight at right tackle, and all of them were bums, so they had to go get more bums at cut down. <laughs> but Vidarian Lowe started last week's game with a false start. That was his first snap of the day. His last snap of the day was about as embarrassing an effort on Max Crosby for a safety to end any comeback hopes, as you'll see. And everything in between was equally as bad. He stinks. He, he's just not good. I feel bad saying that. I, I, I kind of wish him well in the XFL or wherever there's other options now for him, but this has been all year. They they're to the point where they brought back a guy this week that you guys, I think are familiar with Connor McDermott who has bounced. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Connor McDermott, cause they stunk at right tackle all last year too. Isaiah Wynn was sulking and then they had a couple other bodies and then Connor McDermott actually finished the year a year ago with like six starts and Bill Belichick in December said, quote, thank God we have him. And if I'm Connor McDermott, that goes on my tombstone. Bill <laughs> Belichick once said, thank God we have him. Love it. Um, and he may be an option again this week because Riley Reef came back. He got hurt again. <laughs> they just, they have no capable bodies at right tackle. And that's not to say the rest of the line is good. That's just the worst of a bad offensive line. So yes, that is, they probably have, that's probably the worst position in football. 30, you know, if you take all the starting spots, Vidarian Lowe might be in line for the worst position in football. I want to make this incredibly clear. Best is relative. Who is their best weapon? So if you had asked me that coming into the season, I would have said Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah. I thought he might be in line. He had a thousand yards last year and led the team with 69 receptions. I thought he might be in line for one of these like 1800 yards from scrimmage, 2000 yards from scrimmage, but he just, he has not been able to get going again. We're talking about how bad the line is. That's yeah. clearly a part of it. And I think like Mac, he's gotten mentally broken where every time he gets the ball, he's looking for a hole, he's juking, he's dancing instead of just trusting his landmarks, trusting the play, letting it develop. And so if you're going to tell me the here and now who's the best weapon, it, it's got to be Kendrick Bourne. I mean, he had 10 catches on 11 targets last week. He's the only guy that Mac A, trusts and B, makes plays. Hunter Henry is fine. He's a, you know, competent tight end but he's not going to make plays. He'll get open and he'll catch the ball at 12 yards and get tackled. And you know, whatever he'll have is 50 yards in a game, but that's the problem. They don't have anybody that is a weapon. They don't have anybody that the bills defense and Sean McDermott uh, are going to like, Oh, put it on your wristband. Find so-and-so. Nope. It doesn't matter who you find. Cause they're all mediocre. Andy Hart from the Six Rings podcast, WEEI, joining us here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove. Let's go to the other side of the ball. They can still play some defense. And yep. now, obviously, with some injuries, though, that's been a little tougher. Uh, no Matthew Judon, no Christian Gonzalez, two big blows. They brought J.C. Jackson back. But the numbers aren't that bad on defense. They've been kind of holding it together as much as possible. What have you seen from that unit through all of this, even with the offensive struggles? Yeah, I think they're still fighting the good fight. Now, they were better equipped to fight the good fight in weeks one and week two when we were talking moral victories oh you hung right. in there with Jalen Hurts you forced a turnover you gave Mac a chance to try to win the game even though he couldn't do it you know it was funny at that point we started talking about oh is there a worry about divides in the locker room where the defense is like we keep doing our job but you guys aren't doing it and then you got the injuries and I mean any defense in the NFL you take their two best players yeah. they're in trouble they're going to take a step back and Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez were their two best players but last week, 
they fought the good fight. Like they bent, but didn't break. Um, the, whether it was Jimmy Garoppolo or Brian Hoyer, they moved the ball, but yeah, I think they've gotten to the red zone six times. The Vegas Raiders did. You ended up with one turnover, one touchdown and field goals. That's why you were in the game. That's why Mac is throwing to Devonte Parker deep with a hope that we can get a field goal here. That's why, um, will it hold up? Cause they continue to be banged up everywhere. I'm sure you guys have looked at the 20 person injury report and the six yeah. guys and you know, it's getting yeah, but worse. We see that all the time with Bill Belichick, right? So I mean, that is so true. Yeah. But see, see, this time I think it's real. I think they really <laughs> yeah. are really banged up. Um, and it's to the point where a guy like Keon White, their rookie second round pick, who they really like, was supposed to step up for Judon with Judon out. Now Keon White is out. So now you're getting that domino of like all of a sudden you're on the third best guy. The secondary um, at corner is still a mess. That's why they had to bring JC Jackson back, who. You know, he had good times in New England, not necessarily against Stephon Diggs. Diggs seemed to enjoy <laughs> most matchups with J.C. Jackson over yeah. the years. Um, I just they have a few guys that I really have a lot of respect for the Kyle Duggars, Jelani Tavai, Jabril Peppers had a huge hit last week to force mm -hmm. a turnover. They're still giving it whatever they have on the defensive side of the ball, and it is still the better side of the ball. There's no doubt about that. Do you think, where do you think is the biggest mismatch for the Bills? Like, is there a particular position where you're like, they could just go? I mean, obviously, for us, it's going to be like, okay, the Bills defense should be able to completely shut down the Patriots offense. But I think there is a couple people here, at least in Western New York, who are like, okay, that defense, though, they can make plays. And the Bills offense, they haven't been great the last few weeks. Well, the defense is solid. I wouldn't say it necessarily makes plays. They only have three right. takeaways all year. Uh, Which Jabril is a Pepper. very big difference from last year, right, Andy? Oh, yeah. They were second in the league with 30, yeah. I believe, last year or up near 30. And it's essentially been a part of the Belichick whole style over the years. It's bend but don't break. It's force some turnovers, and that'll sway the ball game. Um, don't give up big plays. Well, now they can't force those turnovers. Jabril Peppers has two massive hits. One led to the pick last week that bounced off Devontae Adams. One was a Jalen Hurts fumble in week one. The only other uh, turnover on the year is a Christian Gonzalez interception. So That's he's wild. gone. That's wild. And it's just like, That's where? So I, I agree on paper. This is one of those games, if you're a Patriot fan and you're just trying to talk yourself into something, it's, well, Josh Allen can be a little loose with the ball at times, but they haven't take advantage, taken advantage of those types of things this year. And the pass rush, as I said, no Judon, no Kia. Like you're starting to get diminished there. So... I don't know if that's a – you know, if the Bills kick field goals, they'll probably win the game. Like, they'll probably drive down the field, and normally you say, oh, football, math, you can't keep kicking field goals. No, as long as you don't turn it over, you can kick field goals and beat the Patriots. That's sort of been a, a recipe for success. The real matchup, if I'm a Bills fan, that I'm sort of lusting after is what we talked about earlier. Just whatever the offensive line is for the Patriots, mm -hmm. go kick the living – I mean, you, what is it, 24 sacks in six games, so you're averaging four sacks a game – I would take the upside on that, all your matchups. The, the interior line, they've, they've had to start rookies in recent weeks at both guard spots, Antonio Maffi and City So. Um, you run a couple tackle stunts, twists. It's like they've mm -hmm. never seen it before. They just look at each other and let both guys run towards Mac Jones for sacks. Like it's, it's been bad on the line, and this is a pretty good pass rush you guys bring to town. Yeah, for sure. I think that was uh, the thought last week too, but obviously the you know, Giants didn't do a too bad of a job, and they hung into the game as long as possible, but – you know, you're right. The Bills still held him out of the end zone uh, for the entire game. Um, so I just want to go back to the Bill Belichick thing a little bit. And before we let you go, Josh Allen has really done a great job against you know Bill Belichick. He it seems like every time these two teams play, Belichick doesn't have much answer. But I don't, I don't think he's done a good job against a lot of mobile quarterbacks, right? I mean, like it just feels like that. Has he kind of just been a little bit stuck in the way he wants to create his defense and maybe hasn't evolved enough and that's what's happening? Or is there something else at play here? Because it seems like Justin Fields last year, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, these mobile quarterbacks have done a pretty good job against Bill Belichick. What is the answer to that? Is it really just Bill kind of being stuck? I think it goes back to athleticism, talent, yeah. speed. I mean, we had Matt Groh two years ago, pre-draft, just talking about, you know, if you want to be a faster team, you have to draft fast players. Right. And I don't know that the Patriots have always put a premium. Even Belichick, going back through the years, for all their strengths, guys like Mike Vrabel were not in the NFL for their speed. They were big, strong, smart, versatile. You got a long way down the list before you said, damn, that guy's a great athlete. And, you know, Jabril Peppers, I would say, great athlete. Kyle Duggar, great athlete. So they've added some of those. 
but I don't know that there's enough. And I've always thought, even going back to Cam Newton would give this team trouble. Sometimes you just end up with your guy and my guy in the middle of some green grass, and one of them's going to win. And, you know, and it's no shame. These are great athletes. Like, I remember a play a couple of years ago I watched where Lamar actually embarrassed Matt Milano um, on the goal line. And I thought, well, that's something because I think Matt Milano is a pretty damn yeah. good athlete. And he just yeah, did yeah. that to him. Matt Milano is a better athlete than any linebacker the Patriots will field. You know, Jawan Bentley or Jelani Tavai, these guys, Anthony Jennings, they're just not great athletes. They don't have a lot of speed. So I think these matchups and then getting into the Josh Allen one, I kind of want to turn this around you. Yeah, he's been great. Ever since, in my opinion, Bill Belichick told ESPN, Josh Allen's not an MVP candidate. And that got out. <laughs> and am I right to assume maybe, you know, we talk about chips on shoulders and memories. Does Josh Allen still remember maybe that little bit of a slight? Does he still try to prove something to Bill Belichick every time he takes the field against the Patriots, you think? I do. I think so. I think he's got a list of people who he knows in the back of his head have like, like, here's a good one, for example. So the Belichick one, Jalen Ramsey, before he ever even played it down in football, did an interview with like GQ and said he was a trash quarterback. And every time the Bills play Jalen Ramsey, he loses his mind. And I think that's just added on to the I think Josh is very much like that, which I think sometimes maybe you got to rein in. But yep. he's the fiercest competitor the Bills have had in recent memory. So obviously, bring that juice. It helps them. Sal, do you agree? And I, and I, yeah, and I'm going to say this, Andy. To me, it's more big picture, too, of I, I really don't know if Patriots fans can ever understand what it still means for the Bills to beat the Patriots, to this fan base, to this organization, yeah. for what they endured for 20 straight years. Yep. You say you've been covering that team for two decades. I've been here and covering this team for a decade, but grew up in Buffalo and watching this and that team and that coach, what they did to this organization here, it will never, ever, ever get old to beat them into oblivion ever. And (laughs) and that has been pounded into every single person's head that walks through these halls and walks through this building. It doesn't mean the same to the Patriots fan base. They did it to everyone. The bills were just like, ah, they would stomp Mm -hmm. on the feet. Like the old thing, the cartoon, ah, get down there, stay in your hole. Right. But now the, the shoe is turned and I'm telling you, This is something this fan base and this organization revels in. It's why, to me, Sean McDermott embarrassed Bill Belichick on national TV on the perfect game, we call it, and was throwing to an offensive tackle already up four scores. Hmm. Interesting. That that is interesting because, you know, I do think from a Patriots perspective, even from an internal Patriots perspective over the years, the Jets were always the team that was different because of the whole Belichick Mm -hmm. border war, everything that went into that rivalry. And, you know, it was just like the Bills. Yeah, Brady owns the Bills and the winning streak and all that. But it's interesting to sort of see the the reverse side of that, reverse engineer it. And uh, whatever it is, it's working for Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Every time they play now, they put up numbers and they get the job done. Well, the Andy, Patriots still beat the Jets a lot, though, too. Yeah, so exactly. That's true. And, Andy, the last one for me, does he get the record? Does he even get a chance to get the Ooh. record? Is he and around he long New enough? England. Yeah, like w- what happens? So um, I have now reached the point. I will be surprised if Bill Belichick's the coach of the Patriots next year. I've just reached that point. I don't, That's you know, amazing. you mentioned wake up call. The idea that um, there could have been a wake up call a few years ago for Belichick. The wake up call to me is no longer on the Belichick level. It's on the craft level. And Robert has said a lot of things in recent years about wanting to get back to the playoffs. I expect to be a contender every year. Well, not only are you not a contender, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going from competitive we called it the middle meh, where, yeah, maybe you weren't a contender, but you were competing, and now you're you're the blah. You're at the bottom of the league. You're, you're down with the really bad teams looking at draft picks come October. And Robert Kraft has never lived this life, and I don't know that people understand that. Never. As owner of the New England Patriots, he took over. It was Parcells and Bledsoe and credibility. He didn't live the Rod Rust, Dick McPherson era of the early 90s, and <laughs> – I don't think this is setting well for the 82-year-old owner. And Jonathan Kraft, who will take over the organization, can be a very competitive, um, reactionary, volatile person. And I just think the way this has gotten ugly, and very specifically the last two prior to last week, they lose to Jerry Jones. They get embarrassed. And and I say lose to Jerry Jones, not the Cowboys, Mm -hmm. not the Dallas. They have a frenemy relationship with Jones where it's always competing and to get embarrassed at AT&T Stadium, and then a week later to come home and in the second half get embarrassed by a mediocre Saints team to the point where Patriots fans are leaving, 
He's looking out his luxury box window, and there's taillights getting on Route 1, merging in there from Gillette Stadium. These leaves mar- these leave marks with him. So, yeah, I don't know the exit strategy. I don't believe he'll be fired midseason. I, I, I can't envision Robert firing him midseason. But somehow, some way, whether it's packaged as a retirement, resignation, mutual parting of ways, I just I think somebody else is going to be running the Patriots next year. By the way, I am very much alike with Robert Kraft. I, too, did not live the Dick McPherson era. I was a freshman at Syracuse the year after he left, and Paul Pasqualone took over, although he was a really good coach at Syracuse, Dick McPherson. Yep, yep. I'll say that about him. Um, and look, it, feel free to use this on your show. You don't have to. But I'm just going to tell you, the way I've described Belichick over the last two years is he's Brooks from Shawshank Redemption. He got out of the prison. He was institutionalized by having Brady for so long. The world went and got itself in a big damn hurry, and he didn't catch up to it. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. That is... Feel free. I may use that. I may steal okay. that. You Do got I have it. To credit you? No, you can just say you can say this is what they're saying in Buffalo. It's all good. Hey, Andy, thank you so much. We went a little thank long you, with you on the podcast, and I know you got your own podcast. Six Rings is what they call it over there in Boston. It's the Odyssey podcast, like we have here in Buffalo, and it's always game day in Buffalo. Andy, great stuff. Thank you so much. My pleasure, and I'm kind of just hoping for a competitive game on Sunday, but I don't feel great about it. <laughs> we'll see. And then, of course, and by the way, real quick, Matt, Matt, you pointed out the stat. Tell the Bills' schedule coming up, and the Patriots, and how it relates to them, which is okay. amazing. So the Bills, the rest of the season, have two 1 o'clock games left. That's so it. The Bills two become, 1 o'clock Sunday games. That's it. They're both against the Patriots. So I think the networks are like, hey, we want to see the Bills. We just don't want to see the Patriots. So it feels yeah. like how the tides have Isn't turned. Amazing? I, guess. I, I guess if it's a terrible season, it's that's the one saving grace for me is you're done with work by like 7 o'clock at night. No more of those like <laughs> 3 a.m.s when you, you know, doing a post-game show. So, hey, exactly. I guess I'll take it. Silver line. It's all great, man. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thank you. Okay, you got it. That is Andy Hart of WEEI and also the Six Rings podcast. All right, let's talk Bills and uh, what's going on this week with the team. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. As Matt and I talk here on the podcast, I am actually in the Bills radio booth. I'm at practice here. I just got back from watching practice, and Matt, I will report. Josh Allen's on the practice field. He is throwing the ball. I tweeted out some video about it a little while ago as we talk kind of in the record here, in the recording of part of the podcast. Um, It seems like he's on track to play. I don't think there's any issue there. However, Ed Oliver is not at practice again. Sean McDermott did say when Joe Biscalia asked him, um, are you hopeful he'll practice tomorrow, meaning Friday, he said, I am hopeful. That doesn't mean he's going to play. So that would be a big loss for the Bills on top of not having Daquan Jones. Yeah, it'd be a huge loss when you consider their other options at defensive tackle are not great. That doesn't mean they're terrible, but it just makes you wonder. Ed Oliver, I think it was he clo- played close to 85% of snaps the last game, which is so so drastically different than how they usually approach their snap counts with defensive tackles or really just anybody on defense besides like, you know, the secondary and the linebackers. So they need Ed Oliver. Can they get by a week without Ed Oliver? Certainly. I think if it's okay, if you're rushing him back for one game, you just make sure that he's ready to go for the Thursday game and you should be able to go. You should be, you know, good to get a win. But at the same time, like, man, that's a big blow for the Bills with the, the injuries that they've already sustained. Oh, tell me this. I don't even want to say it. I was going to say, is he the most important player on that defense now? Now that the other guys have been injured? I would have no. said it's Milano and Trey. I think Terrell Bernard is quickly becoming that player. 
Okay, fair. I mean, he's been awesome. So I think that you're probably spot on with that. But yeah, Ed Oliver's super important. Obviously, we'll find out more Friday. If it's a long-term thing, that's a really big problem for the Bills. If he misses a game, you should still be able to get the win. And by the way, that's no disrespect to guys like Taron Johnson, who you could make that argument for oh, as well, awesome or, too, right or other players on the team. But I think Terrell Bernard, and by the way, we should, we should talk a little bit about Terrell Bernard and the season he's having. He dug some stats up today to talk about it. Um, but I do want to bring it back to Ed Oliver real quick in the injury. We also have to remember here, the Bills have a game four days after, yeah. right? Thursday night against the Bucks. So even if Ed Oliver's kind of iffy, or anybody for that matter, Damian Harrison, concussion protocol, the next brain, also not practicing, and... Quentin Morris with the ankle injury not practicing. If any of these guys, let's say, I don't, I wouldn't expect Harris to be in this situation, but if any of these guys are close, Bills made elect to hold back on them as of yeah. to not re-aggravate something and not have them for a key AFC game two weeks from then because they have to play, obviously, the game on four, in four days against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, I think that in this case, it's better to be smart with all of these mm-hmm. decisions and make sure that they are ready to go, even if that means giving them a couple days rest. It's tough, though. I think maybe I have a little bit of recency bias seeing how difficult the game was against the Giants. If the Bills would have beat the Giants decisively, I think I would have said the same thing. Like, yeah, you could honestly have it's almost a load management conversation. You could sit some of these guys and make sure that they're healthy for the more important games down the stretch and you should still be OK. But I don't know something about the Bills going to against the Patriots on the road. It it does not feel like it's ever going to be a cakewalk. I I don't even really remember in years past, right? Like last year, the Patriots weren't very good. The Bills went in there. They won by a couple scores, but it wasn't dominant. You know, the times that this team has gone on the road to New England, they've been close-ish games. So I I don't think that the Patriots win this game, but I'm expecting something that's close. And obviously, if it's going to be what I think a close game, then you need as many guys as you can. Last year, they won 24-10 in a primetime game. Yeah, that was the Thursday night game. Um, I think, uh, and and the only only thing the Patriots did in that game was literally throw it to a defensive back on offense. For caught a touch, yeah. Who caught a touchdown early in the game? Yeah. So I don't know. I just maybe maybe those. I think the ghosts of New England past are still in your head. Probably a little bit, probably, (laughs) but, but but there's a point to be made here of Matt. There's a point to be made to your point, which I don't want to dismiss because I think the point to be made here is the bills offense hasn't looked great the last two weeks and the Patriots have bill Belichick and they can still play some defense. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, so if you combine those things, this doesn't have to be the bills just walking into England and coming out with a three touchdown victory that did not happen against the giants. If the bills continue to sputter on offense as they have the last two weeks, this is going to be a dogfight at Gillette stadium. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Patriots defense, even without Gonzalez and Judon, is better than what the Giants have. Yeah. The Bills scored 14 points against the Giants, and all of them came in the fourth quarter. I do not think that the offense is like this massive problem that cannot be fixed, but I think that it's trending in the direction that you want to get this thing figured out sooner rather than later, because if you don't, then I think it's going to cost you a couple bad games. Actually, you know, it's a conversation I had with Joe Biscaglia. You mentioned him earlier about how it felt like last year, the Jets game kind of was a signal that maybe the offense had some issues. And then for the next few weeks, they had the Josh injury, but they just did not look the same for a little while. So that's the thing. It's like, okay, there's been a lot of people talking about Ken Dorsey this week. There's been a lot of people talking about what's going on with the offense. You should be able to go score 30 points against this team. You should be able to do that pretty much against anybody. But are you able to execute and actually do that? Until they do, I'm going to have a little bit of doubts and just wondering what their ceiling actually is offensively. On the other side of the ball, Terrell Bernard, who I mentioned a little while ago, I want to give you his stat line for the year. 57 total tackles, five of those for loss, two sacks, two interceptions, two QB hurries, two fumble recoveries, two pass breakups. Matt, not only is he the only player in the NFL, not just linebacker, the only player in the entire NFL with at least 50 tackles and two sacks, he's also the only player with at least 50 tackles and at least two fumble recoveries. Now, that can be a little bit of luck, but it does show that he's around the ball a lot. Think back to preseason. Think uh-huh. back to training camp. I know he missed the time. Think back to the draft. Think back to losing free agency before that, Tremaine Edmonds, and all the questions and how many people basically said the Bills were dumb for not going out and addressing middle linebacker and how can you go in-house? They don't have anybody. Look how small this guy is. The Bills made the right call. They did. They absolutely did. And I think this has worked out better than even they would have anticipated. I agree. So 
He has exceeded all of the expectations. I remember when they drafted Terrell Bernard. You know, we're sitting there in the draft. We're sitting there in the media room covering the draft. And you know how they bring out all the papers with all the stats on it? And he had that crazy bowl game with Baylor where he had, I think, like 18 tackles or something. He was the player of the game. They win the game. And it was like, okay, like, that is impressive. But how does this translate to the NFL as an undersized linebacker? And when he was next to Milano, it was like, okay, he certainly looks like he is capable of playing this, but maybe it's just easier for him because he gets to play next to one of the best linebackers in the entire NFL. But even since the Milano injury, he has been out there making plays flying all yeah. over the field. So the thing that we've always said about the linebacker position, even going back to Tremaine Edmonds, splash plays. You need to make the splash plays. And that's something that Edmonds did not do a good enough job of while he was here. Awesome player did a lot for them. But, I mean, what are we, six games into the season? And look at all of the moments that Bernard has already had. I mean, it's not even just the numbers. I think on the play where Tyrod hands it to Saquon at the end of the second quarter that they shouldn't have done, who's the guy who stops him? It's Bernard. And then he can tell from everybody else, like, he's the one who makes that play. That is a massive swing in that game. If they do not make that play, they probably lose the game. Even in the game that they lost to the Jags, Bernard was all over the place. So I've really liked his play. And also, it's not to this level, certainly. Dorian Williams looks like he might be a player, too. I agree with that. We we all kind of have seen the, you know, kind of over-pursued a little bit here or there. Flashes, the missed tackles yeah. in the Jacksonville game. I'm not worried about that. I, I think uh-huh. those things happen with reps. You You're taking a player clean off his couch, basically. I shouldn't say it that way. Clean off the bench. He was playing, obviously. He was on special teams. But you're putting him in the middle of a ready-made defense that's here to try and win a Super Bowl and asking him to fill Matt Milano's shoes. And this kid hasn't had enough reps. And that's not a fault of the Bills. I mean, how is he supposed to play? I totally get that. But I thought he... I didn't lo- I didn't hate his game against Jacksonville. He just made a few mistakes. They took him out yeah. because he was over-pursuing and missing tackles. I thought he was much better against the Giants. It still wasn't perfect. No. He's going to get better, Matt. He's going to make oh. those plays. And I love what Sean McDermott said this week about him. Oh, yeah. He said, this guy, he is all about football. He's all about studying his craft. And that's the kind of guy the Bills DNA they like. I really like his game, and I think he can be a special player for sure. I'm glad you brought up what Sean said because I actually, after listening back to the press conference from Wednesday when Sean was specifically asked about him, I had one of those moments where, you know, if you've covered the Bills long enough or even if you've just listened to Sean long enough, you can tell when he's saying something because he, like, genuinely believes it and he's not trying to send a message to somebody because, you know, it's a balance of a head coach. It's like you're actually saying you genuinely feel this way about something or you want that person to know you're saying X, Y, or Z about them. His answer about Dorian Williams felt like he is genuinely optimistic about what this kid can bring to the team, not just this year, but also down the road. You know, when Matt Milano's healthy and ready to go, Matt Milano's going to be on the field. But that doesn't mean there's not a world where Dorian Williams can be rotated in or he can be, you know, your extra linebacker if you think they're going to run the ball or something like that. So it feels like they have certainly hit on Bernard and Dorian Williams, the sample size is small, is trending in the direction of a player who could, you know, be impactful for a while for them. Maybe Dorian Williams' extension could mean a longer career for Taron Johnson. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. you don't have to play as much nickel because you have a guy that can fly around and and do that. That's a discussion down the road, but I agree. And it's a good problem to have, obviously, uh, for the Buffalo Bills. I just want to also go back. This is not to disparage Tremaine Edmonds, but uh-huh. just to give a comparison for everybody. We just told you all the stat numbers on Terrell Bernard. Uh-huh. 57 tackles, five for loss, and then two of everything. Two sacks, two interceptions. Yeah. Tremaine Edmonds, 54 tackles, three tackles for loss, no interceptions. No quarterback hurries even on the season. I don't no know. Sacks. I don't know if he ever had a season where he had more than two interceptions, which Bernard has already had while he was with the Bills. I think he had a year or two where he did have two. And I'm not saying that's the only mark of what makes a good linebacker. I'm just saying right. talk about those specifically splash make those plays. plays. Make those plays. And Bernard feels like he has a knack to do it. There's one other person I want to give a little bit of a shout out to because I don't think we talked about him enough following the Giants game. Christian Benford is another one of those young players who is emerging as like a very solid, capable player. He is going to get beat by elite wide receivers. Great corners do. So that's not going to be, you know, something that does not happen. 
another week, though, where you have a matchup where you think your secondary should be able to do a pretty good job. I fully think that if they're healthy, their two starters are going to be Dane Jackson and Christian Benford. But with those two guys on the field, Christian Benford is your number one corner. And I like what he brings to the table. By the way, Dane Jackson practicing today for the Bills, which is really good news. Kyrie Elam practicing today. He was mentioned as an ankle injury. The only three people not practicing on Thursday are Ed Oliver, Quentin Morris, and Damian Harris. We'll get a full update on Friday. By the time you listen to this, you might already know know exactly. By the way, I mean, I might as well just let everybody know in case you haven't because I've never really plugged it on here. The only place to hear Sean McDermott every Friday is on the Extra Point Show on WGR Sports Radio 550. There's no other media. Every Friday, he gives the injury report. We have him. I talk with him with Sneaky Jody Biasi. So check that out on Fridays. You'll get the injury report with Sean McDermott. Ahead of the Thursday night game next week, it'll be on Wednesday. All right, let's take a look around the NFL. This is a really, really big week in the AFC, and I'll explain why. All right, Matt, so let's just play this out that the Bills win this week. I mean, if they don't, then we have a lot of other issues to talk about, of course. Uh, let's I say like they go to it. New England. <laughs> Let's just they they go to New England and they 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 uh, win. Uh, Bills go to five and two. Okay, later that day, Chargers at Chiefs. Look, mm-hmm. I understand that the Chargers have not looked that great. This is always a close game. I went and did the I looked the last two years, the four games they played, mm-hmm. six points, six points in overtime, three points, three points. All right, this is yep. always a close game. And if the Chiefs win, hand them the West Division already. Yeah. No one's catching them if they win this game. The Chargers need to win this game, so that could happen. And then later at night. Dolphins at Eagles on Sunday Night Football. Eagles coming off a loss, especially if the Bills win and the Dolphins lose. Bills are back in first place in the AFC East. This is a really big swing week in the AFC. Do you know who would have the tiebreaker between Baltimore and I can look it up right now, Baltimore and Buffalo? Because if they were both five and two, like if Baltimore wins, it would be Baltimore. Because I was going to say with the scenario you just painted, I think the Bills would be the one seed in the entire AFC, but they wouldn't. Baltimore, if they beat Detroit, which is also a really tough matchup, they would be the number one yes, seed. Yes, that's but another I mean, big one, obviously. That's another you're big right. one. So you're looking around the league this week and it's like, wow, like absolute. And same thing, by the time most people listen to this episode, the results will be out, but if Trevor Lawrence is not able to play on Thursday night and they drop a game to the saints, that's another one of the teams that obviously you've already lost to that. You're, I don't want to say chasing, but you're competing with. So this is a really crucial stretch for the bills. You know, I I described it before last week is six games. You got to win five of them. Mm -hmm. I still feel the same way. I feel like the Bengals have slowly started to figure things out a little bit. So that game a couple weeks ago, you probably felt a lot better about than maybe you do now. Still a winnable game, no questions asked, but you have to beat the teams you're better than. You are much better than the Patriots, and you are better than the Bucs, like, especially given where you're playing. Like, you got to beat the Patriots, and the Bucs are a tougher game, but it's also at home, like another game you have to win. All right, let's, um, w- let me ask, what do you think happens in that Dolphins Eagles game Sunday night? I bet you could guess what I think happens in that game. You think the Dolphins are going to win? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm I I guess to my fault. I believe in the Dolphins too much. I I just really do. I think it's the perfect system for Tua to really succeed in. And I know what the Bills did to them, but I also know what happened at the beginning of that game and you know the injuries that they were I, I just think the Dolphins are very good. I I don't think that they're untouchable by any stretch. I think they're going to be one of those teams that gets 11 or 12 wins and they are going to be absolutely, you know, a contender at the end of the season. But I, okay, I no, let me, let me, well, let's do this then. Okay. You say 11, 12, they're already at five. Where else are they losing all these games? If they're not losing to the Eagles, well, they have the chiefs in Germany, yeah. mm-hmm. but Matt, I mean, then they have Raiders, jets, commanders, Titans, jets, Cowboys, Ravens, bills. Yeah. I mean, it's, Similar to kind of like the Bills end of the schedule, right? Like it's similar opponents to who the Bills are going to be playing. I, I think realistically they'll lose a game that they also oh, part of this is Tua, the health. Like I I think that he's going to, you know, be fine, but history tells us otherwise. I, I don't know if he's ever played a full season. So I don't know if I want to bank on that happening this year. Best thing that happened for the um Eagles in this game for the Bills and their fans. I think it's the Eagles losing last week. Yeah, for sure. I, do. I think and I think that that's the best thing. And I think there's something to be said about the Chargers too, losing a close Agreed. game, and you're two and Agreed. three, and it's like okay, like you gotta yeah, win. you got to go against the big bad Chiefs. You're really going to be two and four because then you're having a very different conversation. If you're two and four, and the team that you're chasing in your division is 
six and one, like you mm-hmm. said, good luck catching them. And if you're two and four, good luck catching the wild card teams too. So I think it's a huge game for the Chiefs. Browns won last week, a real big win for them over the 49ers. Of course, it happened on a missed field goal, but hey, I mean, the Browns played tight. They played good defense. They didn't have their starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson. Where are you on the Browns right now? They're at the Colts this week, by the way. I'm not as high on the Browns as some people are. Like I've seen some people say it's the best defense in the NFL and they're a legitimate contender because of their defense and their offense just kind of needs to take that next step. Until Deshaun Watson proves anything, I just don't know. You know, it's funny. It's a big storyline this week. Like, is Deshaun Watson going to play? How much better are they with Deshaun Watson? I don't I don't know the answer to that. Like, last year, when the Bills played them, because he was still suspended, like, it legitimately felt like Jacoby Brissett was better than Deshaun Watson for the Browns when he was actually on the field. So, if he's half of the quarterback he once was, then, yeah, maybe they're a, a sneaky competitive team. But I don't even know if he's halfway there because when I've watched them, they just do not look good. Yeah, I do think they have a very good defense. I agree. Maybe not as much hyped. It was, I mean, they, they shut down San Francisco, but really, I mean, that was a, a very bad weather game as well. Um, did you see the stat, Jim Schwartz against Kyle Shanahan? Did you see this? No. So, oh, yes, I did. Jim Actually, yes, Schwartz did. defenses against Kyle Shanahan offenses. Like, Jim Schwartz mm-hmm. is like eight and one now. It's amazing. Yeah. It's something ridiculous. Like here's, I just looked it up. You want to know Deshaun Watson's stats on the year? He's played three games. How many touchdowns has he thrown in three games? Um, Five. Four. Less. With two interceptions for 678 yards in three games. So, I mean, he's throwing 215 yards a game in a touchdown a week. Like that doesn't knock my socks off, even with an amazing defense. You need your offense to do something, and it's not like you can lean on Nick Chubb anymore. So that's not to say the other guys that they have aren't able to contribute, but they're not Nick Chubb. I I don't know. I I don't think there is – I think they're the second-best team in the AFC North. Is that fair? Um, Actually, I would say third. I would say third. I think think the Ravens are still better than them. Yeah, it's a really tough division. I mean – the Steelers are three and three. I don't know. I mean, look, we say it all the time. I've said it. Mike Tomlin rolls out of bed and wins nine games, and somehow they're three and three right now because they don't look like a three and three team. But they're at the Rams this week. They're three and two. Excuse me, they're three and two. Uh, they're at the Rams this week, um, and the Rams are three and three. But I mean, the Steelers could be four and two when it's all said and done this week. That's not a, a world beater of a team in the Rams, and they come. They're coming off a bye. That's a really interesting division. Um, one other team I want to talk about real quick before we end this. The Jets. Real big win last week against the mm-hmm. Philadelphia Eagles. They give them their first loss. The Jets are in a bye this week. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a Jets team that a lot of people think, okay, get through the next you know few weeks. Maybe you can get Aaron Rodgers back. I think that's a little ambitious. Mm-hmm. But it's a Jets team that is still staying afloat without Aaron Rodgers, which is super interesting. Yeah, it is. So, and then you look. They've got their bye week. After that, they host the Giants. So that's mm-hmm. another game. Well, not that it really matters if they host the Giants or on the, <laughs> yeah, that's the, a great point. On the road. To Actually, the they don't host the Giants. It is a Giants home game. There you go. So, oh my God, they got to travel to the other other locker room. <laughs> After that, though, it's Chargers, who we don't know exactly what they are. I don't think uh-huh. the Raiders are good. Then it's then it's a little bit of a tough stretch because you've got Bills, Dolphins, Falcons, Texans, Dolphins. So that's going to be kind of that area where they determine: are they a wild card team or are they a team that misses the playoffs and maybe was good enough to be a real contender with a quarterback, but is just not that legit? I don't know. I think. The defense is real, and I see that you know they've done what they've done to Allen and what they've done to Hurt and what they've done to Mahomes and all that stuff. I, I did not like the comments from Salah. The embarrass- I just think that's I didn't either. I, I didn't I either. I just think it's dumb. Like, well, what are you? I know he's trying to send a message to his team that they're legit, but that's like when they played the Bills in the second game last year and then said like we'll see them again, and they finished with seven wins. Like, like why? He said, "Well, he he said we'll see them again." Then they didn't win a game the rest of the year. That's what I mean. Like, yep. why? I, I don't know. I guess project confidence, but do you really want to do it when you're talking about those guys? It's easier for the Eagles. They're not going to play the Eagles for like another four years. So I guess you can get away with that. But do you really want to be saying that stuff when you got to play the Bills in a couple of weeks and maybe you got to play the Chiefs again at some point? Right. I know. I agree with you. I, I didn't like it. I mean, and I last love him year when they, coach. do you know what they I did last him. year when, when they beat the bills in New York, that game where Josh got hurt, the game where Josh threw a couple interceptions. Yeah. I don't know if you remember what happened there either. 
No, I don't think so. It was such a big deal for that organization. Remember, it's halfway through the year. Robert Sala gave a game ball to every single employee in the organization. Really? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. But hey, whatever. Do you? I like him as a coach a lot. I think he's really good. I do too. He reminds me of me. Super energetic, bald, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was as buff as him, but you know. Yeah, he's he's a very very strong human. It's it's a this is a fun week in the NFL, and it's very different than the last few weeks in the NFL. I think for Bills fans, soak in the last one o'clock game. Well, until the end of the season, yeah. And it's a perfect day to be playing at one o'clock because then you can really watch some good games the rest of the day. You just need to hope the Bills don't ruin the day for you with a loss. But, you know, if you sit there, you watch the Bills win, and then you can look around the rest of the league. It's like at 4 o'clock, you can watch Chiefs Chargers. At 8 o'clock, you can watch Giant or Eagles Dolphins. And then, you know, go to bed and start again on Monday for a really short, a short week with that Thursday night game coming up. Good advice from Matt Bove, and we will be back with you before that short week. Next week, the Bills play on a Thursday night. It's supposed to be good weather, by the way. Keep your fingers yeah. crossed. 63 degrees next Thursday in Orchard Park, and it's going to turn after that. Let's hope that stays the case before that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If I sound a little delirious, which might be the case, maybe I normally do, I'm not exaggerating. I, I think I'm sick. I think I've, you know how you kind of mm-hmm. lost your voice coming yeah. back from London? Mm-hmm. I think it's starting to hit me for some reason. I legitimately were recording this on Thursday morning. Okay. I worked Wednesday. I went to Bill's practice. I got home at like six, six fifteen. I fell asleep until seven thirty. I woke up not knowing what was going on. I told my wife I wasn't feeling good. We put the baby to bed. We did our stuff. And then I fell back asleep at like nine o'clock and don't know if I would have woke up if it wasn't for everybody in the house getting up and getting ready for their day. I, I don't know if I've ever felt le- this level of exhaustion in my life. But the hey. baby's teething and wakes up in the middle of the night, and it's like, oh, goodness gracious. It's it, it's fun. It's a treat. All right. Well, you go get some rest. And while you're resting, everybody can listen to this. Uh, if you haven't listened, when you're listening to it right now, but of course, you know where to find us. And if you're listening somewhere else, the best way is always on iTunes, Spotify, or at the WGR or Odyssey app. And of course, watch us at the Sal Sports YouTube page. A lot going on there, including Sal's House, the new endeavor I have on the YouTube page. So check that out as well. All right. Thanks to Mike Rabier for doing a great job. Thank you very much to Andy Hart from WEEI and the Six Rings podcast for joining us here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We'll talk to you after the Bills take on the Patriots and look ahead to Thursday Night Football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.